0: Players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Brainstorm, Ponder, Mind Goblin, and many others. Battling head-to-head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory.
1: The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by Bosch Roll on YouTube, Thuribon University, and TheEpicStorm.com. This episode is sponsored by Tales of Adventure. Get sweet legacy staples and much more at toamagic.com.
0: Hello, and welcome to episode 83 of The Eternal Glory Podcast heritage, and supplemental products. We've already recorded 30 minutes of introductions and banter for this week, available in our Patreon-exclusive pre-show. Check out patreon.com slash eternalglory to gain access. As always, I'm Phil Gallagher, a.k.a. U, joined by... I'm Brian Coble, a.k.a. Boss
1: and Roll. And EpicStorm.com.
0: All right, before we jump in, do we have any exciting announcements, like, say, new patrons? We do, in fact. We have four
2: new patrons since the last episode. Shoutouts to James, Brandon, Nathan, and Ralph. Thank you all for being on here. In this week's pre-show, I revealed what mobile game I have over eight and a half years of daily quest rewards claimed in. So if you want that embarrassing fact about me, join our Patreon.
1: I love how that was deleted, and not that you play this game while pooping.
0: Or just completely ignoring the, the missionary bit. That was, you know, very central to the intro, but w- whatever, it's fine.
2: Hey, uh, if you want you want to hear what we're talking about, you know where to go.
0: So today we are going to be talking about Heritage. This is kind of a new-ish Magic the Gathering format, and we're talking about it today because the three of us, as well as 13 other magic personalities and streamers, played in an invite-only event this weekend, hosted by Anurag Doss and Mason Clark of Mana Traders. So, what is this format? Premise is,
2: every card has to have come through standard, or at least its era-appropriate equivalent of whatever standard was at the time. Which, another way to say that is, no supplemental sets. That rules out portal, starter, promo releases, commander sets, modern horizons, and I think those are all of the types of supplemental sets. And and
0: one of the two Dungeons & Dragons sets, but not both, as we learned... (laughs) Right, which is a commander set. Uh, Phil
2: uh, had a moment where he called out one of the other competitors in the tournament for having done the bugbear in their deck without realizing that that was the legal Dungeons & Dragons set, not the illegal Dungeons & Dragons set, which is also Commander Legends 2.
0: Look, my biggest critique of the format is that it was very hard to know which cards were legal. Right, without a cultivated ban list,
2: it's just sort of like a clever set of scryfall parameters linked into a spreadsheet. Welcome to community-run formats, folks. But that's the premise, and if you have a feel for what's in sets, then it makes some sense. But if you don't have a feel for what's in sets, you have a lot of homework to do. What's the point of this format?
0: There's a number of things. So number one is there tends to be a lot of cries of supplemental sets ruin legacy because of X, Y, or Z, where X, Y, and Z vary a little bit depending on the time period. Number two, there's a decent number of complaints right now that Legacy itself is a little bit stale. Um, you know, there's so much expressive iteration in the format. Delver has continued to be relatively dominant, My, like even after the Ragavan ban and our most recent um, sort of push notification from Watsi said, everything's okay for right now. Play Leyline Binding. So people are once again experimenting with, hey, what does this format like? Does this fix Legacy? Is this an interesting format? Is this something we would want to to play? Those are some of the things that are kind of being explored here. And the, the different vibes
2: from the competitors just in the, the tournament player Discord, as we're all getting ready to jump in, there was a range of, I'm bummed out, all the cards I like are illegal from... Uh, Justin Gennari, that was his take. He's coming from vintage. He likes Urza Saga doing busted stuff, and all of his goofball brews were off the table, because supplemental sets provide a lot of those cool build-arounds. And I was like, I think this is gonna be a combo versus prison bloodbath. And uh Callum Smith of Everyday Eternal was kind of like, I don't know, it's just legacy, but a little different. I don't know what you expect. Like it's just a, a fun way to to spend an afternoon. All of those takes are reasonable and other folks in the tournament were like this has so much potential this is exactly what i want this is what i've been waiting for everything i don't like about legacy is fixed here we got the full range just among the 16 players in that event
0: generally speaking i think the reception to the event itself was pretty positive um i checked in on the stream once i finished playing in the finals um looked like there were about 600 viewers at the tail end of the stream Um, I don't know Anurag's regular numbers, but 600 sounds really good to me. I know viewership on my own channel was very high. Um, My heritage video that I posted yesterday of my tournament run um, was number one of the top 10 for me, or the most recent 10 for me. Comments were mixed. Some people loved it. Some people were like, ah, this isn't for me. But overall, the vibes I got from my viewers were, this was really cool for a one-shot video. I don't know if I want it daily or anything, but this was a really cool experiment.
2: Yeah, it is. a ex- Experiment is exactly the word I would use. Like I am something of a scientist myself, to quote Harvey Osborne. Is that his name? Harry Osborne. No, that's the son. Norman Osborne. Who's you got Harvey there, Osborne? You got there. Yeah. Norman Osborne. Willem Dafoe. Uh, I do actually use the scientific method in my day job. And a lot of the time, if we just throw a bunch of solutions at a problem at the same time, and then the problem is solved, we don't know what solved it, and we do what's called a component analysis, where we eliminate all but one of the solutions we tried and see if it re-breaks, and then we reinstitute various combinations of the things we tried until we can solve it with the fewest fixes in place. And Heritage is a component analysis of what if supplemental sets are one of the problems, and we just clip that one and see how things shake out. Same ban list, same set legality, except for the supplemental business. And that is exactly a science experiment.
0: Okay. So we know what it is. We know who ran it. We know a whole bunch of streamers, YouTubers, content creators played in it. Let's kind of talk about the play experience. You know, did we find the play experience to be enjoyable? Did we like the the matches? Let's just kind of each share some brief thoughts.
1: I think that the fundamental turn of the format sped up a lot, which is something that I wasn't really expecting. And I think the big reason why is that the supplemental sets provide some of the best answers ever printed in just the last handful of years we'll talk about those in a moment but when all these effects are removed it's a lot easier for combo decks that have just gained a lot over the last couple of years that aren't in the supplemental sets go oh i only have to care about force of will jam 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 there's very few ways to punish those decks and it reminds me a lot of right before modern horizons 1 where reanimator was the best deck in the format, and people are like, "Do I add in the fourth surgical? Do, do I really need to play four surgicals?" Because at the time it was really forcible and surgical versus the world, and it felt a little bit like that era again.
2: Yeah, I agree with Bryant. My prediction going into that tournament was a fast combo versus prison stompy bloodbath, because the things that were barely touched at all were the combo engines and then the mana. Engines like uh, Soul Lens and all the Moxin and all the Prison elements. Those are the decks that lost nothing. Just the sort of fair middle of the road. How do I stop a fast combo or how do I stop a turn one Trinisphere? That's what we lost in the in the removal of the sets. And that is how the tournament went. There were three control players in the field. I believe Jerry Thompson, Caleb Durward, and F. Kalush all tried control. Uh, none of them did great uh, and it's also literally day one of trying this new thing we don't know what the questions are that we need to play answers for so it felt like a much older version of control where today i'm going to beat storm and sneak and show and skimp on answers to trinisphere and chalice of the void and you had to choose you don't have to choose anymore because you just get force of negation and prismatic ending and these nice generic middle of the road things where you don't have to decide what you're going to beat and what you're going to lose to each day at least not in the same level of extremes so our control decks the brave wizards who tried them did not get paid out and the top four was red prison
0: red prison elves and sneak and show and uh, that is mostly what i predicted so i i think i need to make like a video game analogy here um like video games have different difficulties and sometimes like you just want to turn it down and you just kind of want to have an experience rather than, you know, really struggle and just have that rewarding, you know, all right, I did it. Playing Moonstompy without force of negation and prismatic ending and all of these super flexible answers that just say no to my bullshit, it, it was easy. Um, I had very few, like, extremely grindy games throughout the entire League and most of the grindy games were the mirror, where it's just like, okay, we we both have a bunch of bad cards in game one. Like, it's going to take a little longer to kill each other. I I just kind of... It, it felt easier, and uh, just echoing what someone else said already, the format was fast. I feel like the defining turn of most games happened either on turn two or turn three, and I don't really feel like Legacy is like more generally is at that point right now because there's so many of these like ei decks that are just going to grind as the game goes longer
1: phil you brought up a really good point there and i think back to post top ban and legacy i have this friend group and the running joke was a couple of them loved to play just like blue white miracles with portent and whatever in there and the joke we had on trips was like, oh, what's the 60th slot going to be? Because they would argue over the 60th slot in their deck. They're like, do we play a main deck disenchant? Do you play an additional counter spell? Do you play an EE? And the slot, they would argue for hours over the 60th slot. And they were always like, we feel like it should be a permanent-based answer. And they'd be like, ooh, what about uh, unexpected absence? And they would argue that... The, the smallest percentage of difference in these cards and prismatic ending just removed all of that because it's like, Oh, this is just the second greatest removal spell ever printed. And going back, I think people were just like, Oh, I don't have this tool. I'm just going to throw another card in there. And they weren't really thinking about like, Oh, should this be another engineer explosives or unexpectedly absent, whatever. And instead Phil just got to, you know, stomp people.
2: Also, I just want to point out, how ingrained supplemental sets are in our memory because the conversation of like do we main deck a disenchant do we play engineered explosives was largely replaced by council's judgment and unexpectedly absent oh both of which are (laughs) both of which are supplemental set products yeah bryant was just like throwing that out there like it's a magic card some of these are just baked into our brains they've been around for a decade or more uh the first commander product was what 2011 2012 like we're we're a full decade into a regular run of supplemental products. The Commander sets are really the ones that shot these into our veins. Before that, there was just Portal, and there was one notable run of a single promotional card that we'll talk about later. It's banned, by the way, but supplemental products weren't really a thing until Commander started becoming its own supported set. And Unexpectedly Absent, right on the list, Bryant didn't even notice.
1: I am not a control player, my apologies. <laughs>
2: Right. And I like Phil's video game analogy. The one that I would compare this to is if you've played any of the later generations of Pokemon where you can just like hold down B to run or press select to get on your bike or walk up to a bush and press A and the bush gets cut. And then you go back to playing like Pokemon Red or Blue, the original ones, where you have to walk up to a bush, go into your start menu, select the Pokemon who knows cut go into their moves, press cut. It's like, you have to work so hard to do anything versus these quality of life upgrades in the later versions. It felt like we were playing Pokemon Blue in this tournament. That's how it felt to me. Good
1: analogy.
0: Chips on 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 the table here. You know, there's a heritage tournament at your local game store. You have no other commitments today. Are you going to go out there and play in it? Or is this one not for you? Where are your heads at?
2: Strict questions. I got videos to record. I'm never free on a weekend. But, that, uh, that's why I better. had
0: to preface that, you know, because like our time is is <laughs> right, very right. valuable as content creators.
2: Yes, uh, I probably have played as much heritage as I want to for my life, and that's not a shot at heritage or anyone who likes it. I would not show up to a pre modern tournament or an old school tournament or anything else of the ilk. I just really prefer to spend my time playing things that will. You know, star city will run a regional tournament for or could qualify me for the pro tour one day or we'll show up at eternal weekend that's just kind of how i prefer to spend my time uh solving 60 card formats that don't go anywhere is not really interesting if i'm going to play magic that's not going anywhere i'd rather go all the way into the deep end and play commander just or all the way to the shallow end i guess whatever end of the pool commander's in if we're just hanging out playing Magic for the afternoon, I'd rather do that. If we're playing for prizes, I want to play something sanctioned by Wizards of the Coast.
1: My opinion is very similar, although uh, throughout the event, I kept on noticing how badly I missed a couple cards. And you may not know this about me, maybe you do, but Galvanic Relays is in my top five all-time favorite cards. I love that card so much. And playing without it was just so noticeable. I felt like I was handcuffing myself. I'm like, why is this so difficult to do anything nowadays? And I can't imagine going back to a world pre-Galvanic Relay. I just don't want to live there. Like, if they banned Relay, I'd have to consider... Like what I want to do, because I love that card so much and playing without it. I was just like, this sucks. Burning Wish doesn't get anything. What am I going to do? And then I lost to Brian because the only card in my sideboard that did anything was Pier into the abyss. And he played a shield red against me. And I was like, wow, this deck sucks. I hate him the Warrens. give me back relay.
2: Yeah, my my game against Brian was pretty cool. I had a uh, limb duels vault in his end step and I set up a stack of shield blue card to go with the force in my hand. And then Engineered Explosives was two cards down. And I was like, if I Shouldered, he can't peer. And this Engineered Explosives will kill Empty if he pivots onto that. Unless he can, like, thread the needles on a Tendril skill before Shouldered gets out of range. I got two out of three bases covered, and it went to the book. Though it was scary for, like, one turn, because if you had, like, a clean Stormline, I had nothing.
0: You outplayed me, plain and simple.
2: Well, Limb Duel outplayed you. The Vault was, was very generous.
0: Like, on my end, like, I did very well in the tournament. You know, I'm, you know, probably on the short list of one of the bed, better Moon Stompy players in the world. It's one of the best decks in that format and probably would be even after the format adapted. I don't know that I really want to play more. Didn't feel like a refreshing and invigorating enough format where I just, like, have the joy of a child and I'm like, this is everything that I've been missing And so, echoing the thoughts of some of the others here, I think I'd rather spend my time on a more solidified format, because ultimately most of these player-run formats in one way or another kind of peter out and die. And while I really enjoyed this for a one-time thing, and maybe if there was another streamer event I might play in it, um, I, I don't think I'll be going out of my way to play more of this in my off time. Whereas tomorrow night, I'll be playing Commander.
2: Oh yeah. Let's go into... The impact of supplemental sets. So we talked about Heritage, the premise of which is no supplemental sets. Let's actually dig into supplemental sets and what they have done to and for the legacy format. Once again, the supplemental sets we're talking about are in the the olden times, portal and starter, promo releases, commander sets, and the modern horizon sets.
1: One of my favorite things about the first card is that so many people said this card was egregious, should have never been printed, and should have been banned.
0: And it's True Name Nemesis, a card that sees borderline no legacy play now outside of uh, usually merfolk. Occasionally, a crazy person will show up with a Stoneblade deck or maybe play one of in an Esper list or something. So, history lesson when True Name Nemesis was printed, we did not have Council's judgment yet. And it was relatively difficult to answer True Name Nemesis. Unless you went up to 4 mana for, like, a Wrath of God effect. Um, was was Toxic Deluge legal then?
2: No, Toxic Deluge, also a supplemental product thing that
0: wasn't out yet. So, you had to use, like, your Zealous Persecutions or other negative 1, negative Bogari, 1 effects. Bogari was a big one. Oh, yeah. Um, in order to get rid of this card. And I remember, like, being a Death and Taxes player. I, I was just looking at that card and I'm like, oh, what the fuck? Like... How am I how am I supposed to answer this? Am I am I supposed holy to like light, man play Peacekeeper? Oh, I have I have registered a shameful number of holy lights in my day.
2: I believe it. Holy Light, for those of you who don't know, two in a white instant, all non-white creatures get minus one, minus one to end of turn. That's the sort of like deck building that a nuclear bomb, like True Name Nemesis, put on the format. And this was the first one. We're not gonna spend this much time on every one of these cards on our list, but this was the first one that really rocked the format and changed deck building.
1: What I find funny about this is a lot of people are like, Yeah, I hate supplemental sets. I want to go back to the height of Star City games where Legacy was Legacy, and at the height of Star City games, it was true name Nemesis mirrors with Stoneforge Mystic getting Batter Skull and people being like, Okay, can I get to five mana to equip just uh to my true name? Can I get there? And people being like, hmm. Should I play, uh, what's the wizard land that bounces a wizard? Laboratory. Lab. Like Like Times were wild, but that was all defined by true name. And if you remove supplemental sets, true name goes too. And you sort of lose that part of the, the legacy format that you're trying to get back to.
2: Yeah, that era spawned one of the smartest things that I've ever heard anyone say, which uh, I've said on this podcast a number of times. Patrick Sullivan at the time tweeted out what if True Name Nemesis was in Tempest and Wasteland was in Commander 2011? Like, who would be losing their minds and who would be like more? Like, which of these cards is actually more fucked up and toxic? The three mana creature that's hard to kill or the zero cost uncounterable destroy your land effect? And we all are just like, oh yeah, Wasteland, that's Legacy baby. But True Name Nemesis, ban it. Commander products unreasonable. Like that was just a real big moment of growth for for everybody involved. And I think Patrick really summed it up with pointing out the kind of stupid stuff that already exists and that we're totally okay with.
1: I feel like people need to say that in paper, like you wasteland your opponent's land. You're just like, that's legacy, baby.
2: And see how they <laughs> react.
0: <laughs> that's some
2: powerful magic.
0: Okay. But, but more generally, true name nemesis is in kind of the conceptual category we have here of superior threats because a lot of these cards aren't going through standard legal standard legal sets you don't have to balance for standard which which means that you can print some stuff that is just pushed you know be it to sell packs or to make interesting cards for older formats
2: and not just standard but the limited balance like a lot of these do come in sets that were meant to be drafted but some of them don't like uh, the commander, box sets are just here's your box of cards and they contain true nemesis or whatever like minsk and boo is in a draft set so they kind of balance that but you're balancing it against other more powerful things so they get to take the training wheels off a little bit in the draft environment and they don't even have to think about standard and for a lot of the sets modern horizons are printed to the modern card pool and power level the, a lot of these just go straight to Legacy, and they skip even Modern. So the, the norm, all the normal wheels and regulators
0: are just off. Probably a good point to briefly mention that Modern and Legacy have different enough textures that some of the things that are banned in Legacy are acceptable in Modern, and sometimes something that is crazy in Legacy just doesn't have the support to be okay in Modern
1: underworld breach is a good example there i mean people are starting to come around to it now in modern but like for the last couple of years people are going, like, oh, yeah that card's unplayable
2: yep uh underworld breach being heinously busted in legacy but fine in modern and uh, ragaban which i believe is a completely appropriate modern power level thing obviously pushed but the formats appropriately built around it where it was completely unacceptable in legacy i'm sure there are some other ones uh like uh ponder too good for modern but legal and legacy so the texture is different in a lot of these
0: so most of these superior threats are flagship cards for their respective deck that's how powerful they are so i've got a short list i'm just going to skim over the list and then we can talk about any that we want to talk over allosaurus shepherd murktide Regent, and dragon rage channeler Urza's saga grist hogak minskin boo you can point to each one of those and say that this legacy deck is built around that card. And like that's very telling because even a lot of random you know, rares or mythic rares from relatively powerful sets don't have a legacy deck built fully around them, or at least not a tier one or two strategy.
2: Right, and Grist is the one on this list that it's hard to say there is a deck built around, but there are also those like, air quotes dwarves decks that play all the changelings with magda and they plus grist and all their spells like they Dwarven recruiter for a bunch of changelings and activate grist once mill their deck make 41 ones so even grist has created archetypes around the thing that he does but it's also just like this insane tool in any green sun zenith deck that dips around containment priest not only dips around containment priest by getting your air quotes not a creature into play under priest but also then kills the priest to unlock the rest of your deck just the play patterns and like that sort of tool with that sort of complexity uh, could only exist in a supplemental set and it does very cool things
1: it's funny how the next card and i'm talking about hogak completely broke modern in half was really good in legacy for about a year and then completely disappeared from legacy uh, and once again, I think it goes back to the answers, right? I mean, we haven't gotten to them yet here, but I think if the Pitch Elementals came out in Modern Horizons 1, uh, Hogak would still be legal.
2: Uh, I don't know that Endurance would be enough to suppress Hogak in its fully unloaded modern form, but in maybe. like it, Endurance, uh, we're getting there, but that is the type of thing that can hang with the type of thing that Hogak is. And we have endurance in Legacy, and we don't really have Hogak in Legacy. It's a deck you can play, but and like dredge might play one in the in the sixty as like a thing you can do, but generally not really a thing. Uh, we also have Caracas in Legacy, which can answer the Gak itself just tucked into your mana base. Then you just got to answer the rest of the creatures, which Modern doesn't have. A lot of moving parts, of course, but but yeah, Hogak. Totally appropriate for Legacy. I'm even excited to see it. Again, like Modern, oh, it was like, oh god, this thing. But in Legacy, when I see, like, Bayou Stitcher Supplier, I'm like, oh, it's time to gack.
1: Who doesn't love saying gack?
2: Gack. Looking at this list of True Name Nemesis, Alistair Shepard, Murktide Regent, Dragon's Rage Channel, Urza Saga, Grist, Hogak, Minskin The only one that I'm just like, ugh, is Murktide Regent. And even that one, I think without the support of the shell it's in is fine like nobody was mad about tomb stalker for the, its entire existence i i don't think a push tomb stalker as on its own just because it's blue like color shifting tomb stalker and making it a little bit bigger i don't think does enough to make that a bannable card i think that there is support in the shell that makes this t- type of card extra unreasonable and it might even be its buddy dragon's rage channeler like the two together They're actually sharing a line in our show notes. Everything else got its own bullet. And this the bullet says Murktide Regent and Dragon's Rage Channeler. So uh, hand in hand buddies here.
0: Yeah, they have like the matching heart pendant where they each have one half, like for sure. And I want to remind our longtime listeners that when we did our original sort of like episode talking about spoilers from that set, we focused on Dragon Rage Channeler, not Ragavan.
2: I would also like to uh, make the record known that we were not. Super hyped on Ragavan. Uh we we spent a lot of time talking about how cool Dragon's Rage Channeler is, and we're just sort of like, I don't know, Ragavan's a two one and a legend. Uh we we did kind of miss on how busted Ragavan was, but we gave a lot of attention to Dragon's Rage Channeler. And yeah, that card remains really good.
0: Turns out when your cantrips all dig one deeper and it's sort of a cumulative effect, and it gets even better if you have two Dragon Rage Channelers. It adds up over a game, folks. You had to look at so many goddamn cards. It's true.
2: Okay. Uh, we've all played against Dragon's Rage Channeler. We can move off of that one. Hold but... on. I want to provide
1: a little bit of a combo perspective. I know it's not Legacy, but in Vintage, I remember talking to a friend who was looking to play in last year's Eternal Weekend. And he's like, why would I ever play Dragon's Rage Channeler in my Breach deck? And I was like, uh, think about what you just said again. he's like, I don't get it. And I was like, it surveils directly to your graveyard. And is a backup wincon." con." And he goes, oh, that's bonkers. So just from a like non-tempo perspective, Channeler does a lot of different things.
2: Yep, and on this list, Urza Saga, I think that is a masterpiece of design. Like, I think that card is an appropriate power level in every format where it's legal. It provides necessary deck building constraints so that you don't just tuck it into anything. The fact it taps for colorless isn't free. The tap you need, the fact you need two mana to do anything out of it isn't free. You need zeros and ones worth tutoring for at the bottom end. It helps if you have other artifacts in the deck so your constructs aren't just starting at 1. Like, if your first construct's 3-3 instead of 1-1, it's just really cool. As far as decks that exist entirely based on supplemental products, 8-cast, Urza Saga is the core of 8-cast, and 4 of the 8 casts are also from Supplemental Set, the Thought Monitor. Uh, The deck's very name comes from at least half of Supplemental Set. And the fact there is a tier 1 to 1.5 depending on the metagames fluctuation deck that plays zero reserve list cards is good for the format full stop a cast is a wonderful thing to exist uh the epic storm pilot in the chat is uh shaking his head he looks disgusted and it's true uh, that is a tough matchup for the epic storm but it's a tough matchup for shark still too i'm not happy about it but it's a very cool thing to exist and it's made entirely possible by supplemental products
0: I also think the gameplay against it, generally speaking, is super interesting. Like, assuming you don't just get, like, locked out and die. Because, like, you've got Psy and Thopters to worry about. You've got card draw. The graveyard is a minor resource. Do you want to hate on the graveyard? Do you just want to go after the Emery? I I find gameplay really intricate and interesting. You, like, kind of have to try to kill them somewhat quickly. Otherwise, like, Shadow Spear comes online in the, the late game to recoup a lot of life loss. I love playing against that deck, even when I'm losing.
1: Yeah, it makes one of us. I'm a big fan of Force of Vigor because it blows up permanence in 8-cast. Love that supplemental card.
2: Let's let's use that opportunity to pivot into the answers. We just gave you a list of threats. Here are a list of answers that come from supplemental formats that we see a lot. Uh, how about Flusterstorm? Remember that one? The original uh, that's one. Prob- yeah, that's probably in that pocket of unexpectedly absent where it's just like oh yeah i'll put, throw a pl- fluster storm in my sideboard no you won't not in heritage like fluster storm built into it's modern legal as well just printed in modern horizons long after it was legal in legacy from commander sets and we got force of negation force of vigor prismatic ending unholy heat all the elemental cycle basically except for subtlety so fury solitude endurance grief plague engineer dress down and maddening hex i have as an answer but it's also sometimes a threat that's that's a short list just off the top of our head here and what these all have in common is their backstops where if a card like this is ruining your day you're probably up to no good this slows down a format this provides answers for people who want to play them Uh, as a as a control player obviously i think that is good one of the the points that came up in like the heritage discussion is what is the sign of a healthy format that i have built my deck and mulliganed disciplined to produce turn one blood moon therefore i deserve to win if it works like i take my 60% shot that they don't have their their force of will in the opening seven and my blood moon resolved now they're dead i earned that through deck building and good decisions versus oh crap their blood moon resolved I'm still alive to find my Force of Vigor. But it, they're still ahead. Like, which of these is a healthier format? And what incentives do we want to reward? And I like... I love a backstop. Go ahead, Phil.
0: Alright. One of the things that a lot of these cards have in common is that they are flexible and generic. Um, a lot of times in Legacy, prior to these supplemental sets existing, you had to play these narrow cards that had a specific purpose. And now... Your Force of Negations and your fluster storms they are generic enough that they can hit so many things. Same with Prismatic Ending, Force of Vigor. And with the Pitch Elementals in particular, those are some of the most flexible cards ever printed, right? Endurance is your turn one graveyard hate, while also potentially stopping a Doomsday Kill, while also being a 3-4 Reach that can go and block a Delver. A lot of these cards have sort of condensed either main deck or sideboard cards to a fewer number of slots so that you're not spread quite as thin. And you have decent game versus most strategies.
2: Yep. And while Phil was talking, I added to the list because they've already come up Toxic Deluge, Council's Judgment, and Unexpectedly Absent. All of which I have registered in decks and they all check those boxes of an either efficient or flexible way to answer something. I think the the elemental cycle, it, you, you just went in on endurance a bit, but I think it's really cool that Death and Taxes or Red Prison can clip that turn one Delver on on or in the early game. And then when they get to five mana, they have the 3-3 three, three double strike or the 3-2 lifelink. I think that's really good for fair decks to have in general.
0: And not just that, you can build synergy with those cards if they're in your deck. So for example, Death and Taxes can flicker wisp that Solitude to get another remove, and Red Prison can use Reflection of Kiki Jiki to copy Fury, which is just disgusting, and I love it.
1: One small note, and I know that this episode isn't about it, but we talked about some cards being more powerful in Legacy, less powerful in Modern, and I actually feel like that's a little bit of the case for the Pitch Elementals. Well, hold on, I might have worded that backwards. They are way better in modern to the point where I feel like they're almost a little bit of oppressive from the combo player's perspective, but I feel like they're perfect for legacy, where as someone who tries to play modern combo decks exclusively from our YouTube channel all of the pitch elementals, almost every single one of them ruins your day one way or another. And the combo decks have to jump through so many hoops to even be remotely playable. And the pitch elementals just shut them all down so easily. And they're so free to play. I just feel like combo and modern you're crawling for any win you get where the fair decks with the pitch elementals, just you're breezing. I don't know if that made perfect sense, but um, that's an opinion I've had for a while. I just decided to share it.
2: Yeah. The, the gap between Modern and Legacy come up a few times, and Legacy is used to exiling a card to get a free spell, and Modern is not. So uh, Modern has a force cycle from Modern Horizons 1, and they have the elemental cycle from Modern Horizons 2. We have all of those, plus the alliance cycle, plus the Mercadian mass cycle, plus, you know, like we've seen this dance before, and we're kind of familiar with the play patterns.
1: Yeah, and it's just like casting Desperate ritual two mana f- to make three mana when your opponent's like okay i guess i have endurance or you know force or whatever like it's kind of embarrassing yep sorry i know i went off topic my apologies
0: i mean that's, that's right. the whole podcast right
2: real quick uh these superior answer answers flexible answers category just a quick peruse of them uh we've got plague engineer dress down toxic deluge and council's judgment all of which answer our poster child true name nemesis it's true. So like the, it's kind of like introducing a new bacteria to the system and then introducing a vaccine a couple of years later. The more of these things that come out, our list of answers is much longer than our list of threats. And our list of threats is not particularly egregious. When you
1: look at the black answers, Plague Engineer, Toxic Deluge, those are the classic black sweepers in my head at this point. And I'm trying to think back to... I don't know, the death rate bug era of Legacy, pre-Shardless Agent. What were the Sweepers? I legitimately can't think of them. Like, they weren't playing Pernicious Deed. I can't think of good playable Black Answers. Like, they weren't playing Damnation.
0: Yeah, I'm having trouble thinking of it. Like, I've seen a Damnation once or twice in my day, but that was Spice.
2: I've registered Pernicious Deed, Engineered Plague, back before Plague Engineer was a card I've put in decks.
0: Oh, okay, I know. You used to uh, play, parish. yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the color Par- hate cards.
2: Yeah, like Parish and then uh, Virtue's Ruin and Nature's Ruin. So there's like three, two in a black sorcery, destroy all green creatures. And then there's one from Portal that's destroy all white creatures. The Virtue's Ruin and Nature's Ruin are Portal cards, which are supplemental sets. Also, uh, we, we just mentioned a card that we forgot about in our whole intro, Plane Chase, Shardless Agent Baleful Strix. Those are supplemental cards as well. Baleful Strix was a core of Bug Forever. And when I was brewing for the Heritage Tournament, I was like, do I want to slow down Turbo Doomsday since I don't get Personal Tutor? Because that's a portal card. But the mid-range Doomsday decks are built around Baleful Strix. So you don't get that either. And like Baleful Strix, look at Baleful Strix and tell me that card's outrageous. And that could go into the superior answers, flexible cards kind of zone. Like two mana, draw a card, death touch body in the way. You get your card back right away and it's going to trade with something like a clean, fair two for one that only punishes people who are trying to attack you with a big creature. Just a nice little value backstop. Battleful Strix is a masterpiece. Love that one. Shardless Agent has come with some baggage because it and it has enabled a lot of combos over the years. But even that is cool.
0: Speaking of cool, I just want to give a quick nod to the design of Dressdown. Dressdown is a card that when you look at it, it's like not very exciting. Like, it's not a sexy magic card. And then once you've played against that card a handful of times, like, you realize what it's actually capable of, and it's very silly. Sometimes it's the control deck's answer to, you know, Urza Saga tokens. Sometimes it's the combo deck. All right, at your end step, I'm going to dress down, shut off your five hate bears, and then I'm going to cast my high tide and just combo off. Some of these, like, super flexible cards have done really neat, niche things, decks just needed done
2: yeah dress down is one of my favorite printings in all of these lists and i remember when uh it was first printed i think it was Pokemoki put out a list of all the things you can do with dress down and obviously not all because magic is infinite but the normal things that could come up and the floor of just cycles for two just play it draw a card it dies so go to the next turn and then it's like Stifle, like just Dress Down a Stoneforge Mystic, move on with your day, beat the 1-2 somehow, don't worry about the equipment, and then all the way up to Thassa's Oracle, or enabling your own things, like end step Dress Down, untap, cast two Phyrexian Dreadnoughts.
0: Attack with a 1-1 Death Shadow, cast Dress Down, bam!
2: Yep, take 13, sucker. Yeah, Dress Down just so freaking sweet, and uh, that, that's just, and that, Checks a lot of the boxes from our first section. Dressing down a true name nemesis, so then you can lightning bolt it. Dressing down with Alisor Shepard in play, then countering the Natural Order. Dressing down in response to Murktide Regent. It's just a 3-3 instead of an 8-8. Uh, Urza Saga, the nuts, wipe that one out. And not so much against Grist Hogak and Minskin Boo, but like five of our eight threats we identified get hit meaningfully by dress down. Pretty sweet. It's really
1: weird when you think about what cracked dress down because if you look at the history of magic there's a bunch of cards that exist that are like your opponent's creature becomes a one one until end of turn i mean it's not terribly de- a one one with no abilities i mean and it's not terribly different, but then they reduced it by one mana from three to two, and then added a draw card to it, and everyone's like, oh my god, this card is bananas. Granted, it's you can play it before something like a Thassa's Oracle hits the table, and then it affects the Thassa's Oracle, but we had similar effects for a long time that just saw no play whatsoever.
2: Yeah, Humility has always been one of those uh, legendary cards that every, that's like a Awareness level up that every Magic player has, where it's like I know some things about Magic now. Have you seen a humility in play? And then you just it just hits you in waves, like oh my god. I think the really important thing, I mean, the Cantrip matters, raising the floor on Dress Down, but the really important thing is it arrives before the creature does, like Humble, one in a white instant until end of turn, target creature loses all its abilities, has base power and toughness zero one. That doesn't stop a triggered ability once the creature has arrived, and just the the Stifle mode on Dress Down is.
0: Huge part of the package. All right, so let's move into our next category here, which we just sort of generically called powerful creatures with either offensive or defensive capability.
2: A little from column A, a little from column B are the two things we just talked about threats and
0: answers. So we've got Hull Breacher, Collector Oof, Douthy Void Walker, Opposition Agent, the more niche Sanctifier in Vec, Scavenging Ooze, and Containment Priest.
2: Right, Priest and Ooze, I'd like to note before the comments go nuts, they've since been printed in core sets and released into Standard, and they're now legal in Heritage, but for a long time those were supplemental products. And yeah, Sanctifier, in fact, much more of a modern card than a legacy card, but it's in this pocket of a threat you can deploy that's also disruptive to your opponent's plan.
1: I would also okay. like to add in a note here. Fuck Collector Roof.
2: <laughs> yeah, we know. Noted. Uh, as the Control Wizard, who... A couple sections ago said how frustrating but powerful Grist is. Just an answer to Containment Priest that you can Zenith for. A Null Rod you can Zenith
0: for. Uh, Not a fan from our Resident Storm Wizard. All right. Now, if we take a look at these cards here, many of these powerful creatures are just good enough to build decks around. Hole Breacher can just be a card you play in your blue control deck to, you know, fight in blue mirrors, try to shut off cantrips or you can build around it with something like Day's Undoing and attempt to go a more combo route, or even just use that as a finisher in your control deck. Dalthy Voidwalker and Opposition Agent have spawned multiple different mono-black kind of stompy prison archetypes. Scavenging Ooze has been a central card Of so many mid-range decks, um, such as like Shardless Agent decks uh, of legacy long since past, like your Shardless Bug decks.
2: And really, there was not a good upgrade to Scavenging Ooze for 8 to 10 years until we got Endurance, which competes for deck space. That's a long time to hold the crown. That's a really uniquely powerful effect that it's hard to argue is unreasonable by any stretch.
0: I was trading very heavily at the time when Scavenging Ooze came out, and and that was the hottest shit. Like, that card was so hard to get your hands on. All the Legacy players wanted them. If you were playing anything in, like, the Maverick ballpark, you really wanted that to help keep Tarm- Tarmogoyfs in check. Like, card was was great for so, so long. I vividly remember making a trade of
2: my Italian Legends mana drain for scavenging ooze and then like some little thing to round it out. It was like a two to five dollar card. Like that was the gap between scavenging ooze and legends mana drain for a period of time. That's how dope this card was.
1: One thing I'd like to rewind just a little bit too is Hall Breacher. And I'm not trying to make a big joke here, but it was printed into a commander set for Commander. And then they were like oh this card's play patterns are just terrible. We should ban it from Commander. So they did. But Legacy, everyone's like, no, we love terrible play patterns. That's what we're all about. I want my opponents to have no fun. I enjoy them being miserable. So we just all play Hull Racher. It's great.
2: We're going to talk about this as sort of our closing uh, of what constitutes misery because Legacy is where kind of cards that are not cool anywhere else go to die. Vintage is, you know, one step up from that. But in general, Legacy is the most accessible place where you can. Do something like Hallbreaker is Undoing, and in Commander, yeah, if we got to worry about you know little Timmy never coming back to the LGS and having a bad time and saying Magic sucks, versus invested person to the point where they're enrolled in-, in a Legacy tournament, that person's not leaving, and that person has access to Swords of plowshares and Red Blast and you know whatever the hell. Versus, you know, it, it's just a different thing, and three mana is a kind of curve topper in legacy in a lot of decks where three mana is the start of your curve in commander this totally different environment uh and i'm at the point where i'm not even really putting Hallbreacher in blue decks anymore for a long time i was like yeah we always play one what if we get them and now i'm just like no narset's just better because it comes with a dig through time this is just a freaking creature let's at least get a card off narset on the way through
0: So the cool thing about most of the things in this category is, even though these are back-breaking cards, they're not generically good. Your Collector Oof is embarrassing versus Delver. Your Hole Breacher is embarrassing versus Death and Taxes, right? Your Opposition Agent isn't doing anything if your opponent's just, like, not fetching or searching. These are powerful cards, but appropriately powerful and narrow enough that they don't just hate on the entire metagame as a whole. They're they're bullets
2: yep and we could easily slide plague engineer into this zone as well as far as cards we've already talked about could be down here grist could even be in this category depending on how you're using it just these things that are powerful but not oppressive and potent in matchups with the exception of sanctifier and vec every one of these dies to lightning bolt or swords to plowshares they actually all die to swords to plowshares sanctifier doesn't die to lightning bolt because it was literally designed not to die to lightning bolt that's kind of the whole flavor of the card and these are all just really good at plugging gaps
0: all right so for our final category of things here before we kind of talk about some format health stuff is just things we've categorized as important tools pieces that kind of just make decks pop um so running through the list we've got things like imperial recruiter and recruiter of the guard Timeless Dragon, Currency Converter, Hall of Heliods Generosity. Or went out for those three. Yep. Cauldra, and roughly 50% of the Death and Taxes deck. Seriously, so many of those bears are from Supplemental Products. Echo of Eons and Galvanic Relay. Praise. Archon of... Yep, shout out to Ave Progenitorus as well. Oh, yeah, we're yes. talking
2: about, like, options for Storm here.
0: Archon of Cruelty and Sarah's Emissary. Blazing Rootwalla and Anji's Ravager. Fiery Conflux, and if you want to get spicy, Caves of Chaos Adventurer, and as well as all of the Monarch and Initiative cards.
1: I know there's a lot of people that wish that Blazing Rootwalla was a common because they want it for Pauper. So many people love that card. I just want to point that out. Like I know that we're talking about cards like Equivaeon, Galvanic Relay, Timeless Dragon, like Hall of Heliots Generosity cards that the three of us love, but like Blazing Rootwalla is a card that people just want in more formats. Like it's just so sweet.
2: I was an actual little kid when Basking Ruwala was printed, as I believe we all are in that age range. I remember seeing zero in that cost and thinking, what? I just get it for free? It just comes into play and all I got to do is figure out how to discard it. In my dumb little kid brain was probably thinking how I can like him to trock myself or something to get a free card. Not thinking about, you know, like careful study, (laughs) but still just seeing zero in a a way to cast a card is viscerally exciting to every single magic player
0: and blazing Ruala is is just more of that so just skimming this list backbones of death and taxes shark still most of the various storm decks reanimator the entire madness archetype red prison and if we go back in legacy's history a little bit the various Monarch decks, including Death and Taxes in various iterations, have found essential cards that are tools from the supplemental sets. Yeah, there's
2: kind of a range here, because Shark Still does not work without Timeless Dragon and Hall of Elia's Generosity, and I found Currency Converter to be great. Death and Taxes, as it's currently constructed, doesn't really work without Recruiter or the Guard. Red Prison, as we've learned, works just freaking fine without Fire Confluence and Caves of Chaos Adventure kind of stuff, but it is a lost tool. And the Epic Storm goes from the Epic Storm back to Black Belcher, which is a a fundamentally different deck. Never again. (laughs) Yeah, and Madness is just gone without Blazing Ruall and Angie's Ravager. And then uh, Archon of Cruelty and Sarah's Emissary gave Reanimator an angle that doesn't lose to Caracas which has been really cool.
0: So I, I believe this quote was from Thomas Ennevoldsen, one of the greatest D&T players of all time. I think it was him who said, like, Death and Taxes wasn't really a deck before Recruiter of the Guard, and then it became a deck. If it wasn't him, it was one of the other, you know, big D&T grinders, where, like, that card gave you card advantage and card selection, as well as another very valid Flickerwisp target, all of which the deck was very much missing. And people ask me, like, Phil, like, you're such a DNT and t guy. Why didn't you play D&T in the Heritage event? And I could have just pointed to this list and I said, this is why. You lose so much from, like, your fair mono-white creature control deck without all of these supplemental products.
2: I'll do the next thing because I, I had fun putting this list together. If you weren't looking at these show notes, how many cards do you think were, were banned from supplemental sets i have a comprehensive list of every supplemental set card that's banned on the legacy ban list right now
1: i could have gotten i think i would have gotten four of the five i don't think if you gave me 200 guesses i don't think i would have come up with a fifth
0: yeah i i think i i would have gotten three i wouldn't like i knew the other ones were banned i wouldn't have known they were from supplementary products
2: (laughs) okay uh brian already gave away the number there are five cards on the legacy ban list from supplemental products I will go in reverse order here. Most recently, Ragavan has been mentioned right before that. Arkham's Astrolabe from the same set as Arkham's Astrolabe, Ren and Six. And here's here's where it gets weird. Like I, I had to double take Imperial Seal. I was like, oh, yeah, duh. We've never had that one in Legacy. And I've winked at this a few times because it's a very weird release. It's the original Rick Grimes, Steadfast Leader, a card that was released only as a promo. And you had to buy a book to get it. It's Mana Crypt. Those are the five cards. That's not a bad track record. Uh, As far as the length of legacy ban list, the amount of nonsense that comes through standard legal formats and lands in our laps, not bad. And two of these are from ancient history where like kind of nonsense cards were given out nonsense ways. And then three of them. I think Arkham's Astrolife surprised everyone. Like, as that card was printed and just got banned out of every format it was legal, people were like, oh yeah, the color pie is important. But uh, yeah, Ragaman, Red and Six, Astrolabe, Imperial Seal, Mana Crypt. End of
0: list. Just listen to how positive we've been throughout this whole episode. We're talking about all of these great things that supplemental products have done for Legacy. All these tools that they have offered to a very wide variety of archetypes. And yeah, sometimes some of these supplemental cards have been an absolute kick to the face for the format, and they have needed to go. But so many of these things have added fun and interesting tools. And that brings us to our final section, which Anurag
2: was streaming with the, the all caps clickbait title of Legacy without the BS. And a lot of folks respond to that. And let's talk about the BS that is still legal. We want to talk about BS. Legacy is BS. That's what we sign up for. We know we choose this over like Pioneer because of the BS in a lot of ways. These are cards that are still legal in Legacy and came through Standard. We've got Dark Ritual, Tendrils of Agony, all of the Moxes, Diamond, Opal, Chrome, the Spirit Guides, the Soul Lands, Show and Tell, every single card in Oops All Spells, Chalice of the Void, Trinosphere, Delver, Days, Wasteland, Brainstorm, Ponder, Doomsday, Thassa's Oracle, Uro, Teferi, Narset, Karn, Veil of Summer. And if there's a card that needs to be banned in Legacy right now, in the humble opinion of myself, and I believe my co-hosts share it, Expressive Iteration. That was a standard card. Got banned in Standard, got banned in Pioneer. What are we still doing here? All these cards are legal and untouched by the no supplemental sets parameter.
1: My least favorite card of all time is not from a supplemental set. It is from War of the Spark. I hate you, Karn the Great Creator.
2: Burn in hell. The Heritage seems like just another take on... People have been trying to, like, air quotes, solve the, air quotes, broken legacy format for a while. There was uh, pre-war legacy, pre-Eldrain legacy, Innistrad legacy. I, I get the appeal like innistrad gave us delver of secrets snapcaster mage and terminus that's a big impact on Terminus was from... in uh yeah, yeah i mean the block okay yeah uh the third set of the block brought us terminus but innistrad itself gave us delver and snapcaster that was a really cool time for legacy and i get it but like we look at narset parter of veils and the the prevalence of that card and the effect it has on games is that Less bullshit than Recruiter of the Guard or Council's Judgment or whatever uh, that we've mentioned. Uh, I, I don't think that supplemental sets are the bullshit that need to be removed from Legacy. In fact, I think Legacy rules, and I think it would be a little better without Expressive Iteration. But as it stands, it rules, and the things that we listed above, the Hate Bears and the Answers, especially. Uh, I brewing the Doomsday deck without those cards where I both didn't have to worry about Flusterstorm, Force of Negation, Opposition Agent, Endurance, Dress Down. But then I also couldn't play Plague Engineer, Opposition Agent, Force of Negation. It, It just is a really, you feel it different. It's Pokemon Blue, that feeling of, oh, Red Prison stomped this format. I'll adjust for the next one by playing an extra Force of Negation. Oh, wait, doesn't exist. I don't know like I I think more options for deck builders is makes for healthier magic this is not my opinion based on a 16 player tournament this is my opinion based on thousands of matches of real legacy sharpened by my experience in a 16 player tournament that's kind of where I land we like bullshit we chose to play legacy and if you don't like bullshit supplemental sets are the answer or at least a step in the right direction I think I'd
1: agree with that
0: and a lot of times even when legacy isn't the best or isn't the healthiest there's still a lot of things to like about the format people loved top miracles legacy were there things to absolutely hate there yes absolutely did top need to go yeah probably but people liked that a lot of people enjoyed deathright shaman legacy at least for a little while even when something's unbroken even when there's something that's too powerful the format is still pretty intricate and a lot of fun
2: yep long live legacy